for tuning in and welcome to the Unforgettables podcast. My name is Brennelly and my co-host is Adeline. Hey y'all, thank you for tuning in. Uh, my name is Adeline and we appreciate you folks. Right. I'm from the Bay Area in California. I am from Iowa. Iowa is actually lame. There's nothing, there's literally nothing here to do. Isn't Des Moines, is Des Moines cool? Des Moines is the capital and no it's not. Des Moines is developing but as a young black person, oh, there's not much. Before we get started, I do want to mention that if you are a person of color or a business owned by a person of color and you'd like to promote your business in our local communities of the Bay Area, Sacramento, Iowa. Yeah, um, the Des Moines, the Des Moines area, Central Des Moines, pretty much anywhere in Iowa, honestly. Everything is pretty much virtual nowadays. Any small um, POC-owned businesses to reach out to us because we're willing to give up ad space for you guys to advertise your business on our podcast. Uh, you can DM us for rates um, because when you succeed, we succeed because we live in your community. So before we get into the first case, um, these cases do have information that can be uncomfortable for some viewers. So if you have children or other parties in the room that would not like to listen, I suggest that you clear out the room and just get comfy and cozy and get ready to talk about some terrible things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna start with the case of Gary uh, Hednick. He was a sociopath operating out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so this should be a pretty interesting case. There wasn't a lot of news coverage on it. There wasn't a lot of media that I could find. It's mostly uh, my sources come from Murderpedia, which is a kind of a murder index of serial killers and awful human beings that commit crimes, as well as Wikipedia. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So, Gary Heidnick was born in 1943 in East Lake, Cleveland, Ohio. He's described as antisocial in school and often told black female classmates that they weren't worthy of speaking to him during school and often scoffed when they were speaking during class. So, you know, starting off as a dipshit at an early age. Uh, he ended up joining the military at age 17, as most men do, but he was discharged because of a schizoid personality disorder that he was diagnosed when he joined the military and was honorably discharged. When he left, he became a licensed practical nurse he ended up getting fired because he wasn't showing up to work and he was rude to patients quite often, resulting in them complaining almost daily about his attitude and how he treated them. Uh, he couldn't hold a steady job. He was in and out of psych hospitals throughout his adult life because of his refusal to take his medication. In 71, he started the United Church of the Ministers of God. So I'm guessing this was a sort of a way for him to make money because early reports of his family and friends don't seem that he's religious at all. Of course. <laughs> yeah, just controlling. He started a bank account uh, under the name of the church and with an initial deposit of $1,500. Within a few years, he collected $500,000, which in 1971 money is about $1.1 million. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he was just swindling people left and right. How was he acquiring this much money? 
there's not really much on it, but it just says that he had this, like, like you know, like, in the 70s, like, those tele, like, tele-priests, like, the ones that you would, like, turn your radio on? Oh, my gosh, yes, those, like, oh, my, my mom used to, like, listen to those, like, the oldest, the... Priests, like, on the TV. Yes. Uh, What's his name? Joe Olsen, like, those people, but... Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh, all these people are finessers. Yeah, all they want is your money. They don't care about God. Oh, honestly. A few years later, 1978, he had his first child with a woman named Ajanette Davison. Um, they were both um, in a mental institution when they met. Uh, later on in that year, he had a child with another woman that she kept out of the papers. Um, mm. Also in 1978, he kidnapped Ajanette's sister from a mental institution, tortures and rapes for a few days but he's only served a few years in prison i have a question yeah how is this man being let out of this mental institution with like these acts that he's committing i just i'm like because it's a lot i'm trying to put it together he's like stealing money he's breaking out of mental institutions like he's a white man in the 70s that's like oh my gosh it's like get out of free jail cars back then like i have been I've been itching to ask you. I'm like, is he white? Is he white? Because right. I'm thinking there's no way a black man is getting away with all of this stuff in the 70s. No. Yeah, it makes sense now. I, in the 70s, uh, who didn't look uh, crazy. Mm. So, you know, I can do whatever I want card from him. Um, yeah. yeah, so he kidnapped, raped, and tortured Ajanette's sister. When caught, he only served two to three years in prison. In 1985, he met Betty Ditso, his first wife, through an international marriage service ran through the Philippines. Hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not, like, I know, I know a few people. I'm the, like, for the lack of a better term, I hope I'm not misspeaking, but aren't they called, like, no-to-order brides? I yeah. think. I really hope that's not, like, an offensive term. What they're called. And it was an online, like, dating service in the Philippines. But I have one more question. Like, yeah. do you, well, I, I guess I'm thinking, because he got caught. It sounded like no one knew that he committed this act. So is it due to the fact that these women I'm a, they are black, kidnaps and rapes, holds this woman hostage, and he gets out so that, quickly? Yeah. So the attitude towards rape in the 70s was it was a simple assault. It wasn't that big. Mm. And so a lot of men weren't getting the sentences that they should have. True. So within a few years, um, Betty caught him in bed with three other women. And right after he caught him, she caught him and got angry about it. He started abusing and raping her. So he started forcing her to watch him have sex with other women. He frequently raped and beat her. Um, In 86, luckily, she was able to escape Hedmik from the Filipino community in Philadelphia. Thank God. That same year in 1986, he, she gave birth to Hedenick's son, Jesse John Ditso, and never spoke to him again. After Smart. left, right, thank God. Shout out to the Filipino community. And no, for real. Because you're, you're a real one. Um, after Betty left uh, Hedenick, he was charged with uh, rape. Spousal rape, assault, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, 
and assault too, though he only served a couple of months before let off on parole. <laughs> right, right. Ridiculous. Insane. <sighs> so he next started his serial crimes in 86. Uh, his MO was he wanted African-American women in their late teens and mid-20s. He abducted these women by inviting them over for a drink or for sex work, then drugged and beat them. He kidnapped them and kept them hostage, raped, beat, and tortured them daily. He starved them, oftenly fed them dog food. What? Yeah. In 86, he wanted to create this harem of sex slaves in his mind. So on November 25th, he picked up a sex worker named Josefina Rivera. He took her to his house. After having sex with her, he choked her into unconsciousness and chained her up in his basement. He dug a pit, he had dug a pit in the basement floor and put Rivera in that pit and covered it with a weighted board so she could not escape. So like, during all of this, is he still pretending to be a pastor? Uh, It didn't say exactly when the church ended, but it said it was early uh, early to mid 80s. So I'm guessing right after his wife left him, he ended it and was just doing odd jobs with the money. That's crazy. He had accumulated from the church so was no one like noticing these black women were going missing like i don't um, as most of them were sex workers i don't think that anyone thought it was out of the ordinary um or he he knew that these women had no one waiting on them or cared if they disappeared for weeks or days at a time that's true mm-hmm. so on december 3rd which is my birthday i've actually found <laughs> A lot of terrible shit happens on my birthday, and I'm not really sure how to feel about that. That is so funny, because the case I'm going to talk about, one of the murders happened the day after my birthday. Oh, my God. See? On December 3rd, he abducted Sandra Lindsay, a woman he had previously gotten pregnant. Once he had found that she had an abortion, he got angry and kidnapped her and kept her with Riviera. Rivera, he fed the women irregularly and kept them half naked, frequently raping them. Um, on December 23rd, he brought home Lisa Thomas, drugged her wine, and put her in the basement with the others. On January 2nd, he abducted another woman, Deborah Dudley. During her period of captivity, though, she would, um, she would fight back and try to escape more frequently than the other girls, which, of course, caused her to get beaten more and also held in darker, a darker, it was like a, a cell that he had in the pit that he would keep oh my gosh. the, the girls that were escaping in. Right. Um, after Dudley came, he would make the four women have sex with each other uh, and eat dog food instead of actual food. <sighs> 18th, he abducted Jacqueline Askins and put her in the basement with the other girls. She was, it doesn't say that she was a sex worker. So I'm not really sure if he took her on a date or if she was a sex worker. On February 7th, Hednick actually became upset with uh, Sandra Lindsay and punished her by hanging her by one of her wrists from the roof beam. For what? Two days. Yeah, he hung her by one wrist. How did her wrist, how did her hand not fall off? Well, she developed a fever and died that same night. That's crazy. Night. We're at number five now. Like, he's, had, he's cap- captured five or six women. Right. This is so devastating. Uh, he dismembered Lindsay's body, put her head in a cooking pot, 
and cut out her flesh and fed it to his dog. I'm so happy you said dog. And no, that's not good that he fed it to the dog. But I'm so happy you didn't say he fed it to the other women. Oh, oh my gosh. Because he did. Oh my god. Ugh. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse from here. Don't worry. It, I mean, it's not getting any better. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. A, a couple of days went by. His neighbors complained about the smell in his house. Mm-hmm. The police came and he insisted to the police that he burned his food and that there was just the residual smell from that. And they believed him and they left. <laughs> so during their ha- captivity, uh, Hednik would bribe the girls into telling on each other. If one of them was trying to escape, or talking to him about fighting back, he would try to tell the girls who would get special privileges by telling on each other. Rivera actually became one of his favorites and told the girls, told him that the girls were planning to escape. As a punishment, he made all of them deaf by shoving screwdrivers in their ears. and elect- What? Putting them in water. Oh my gosh. No. I was stuck on the fact that the police actually believed the stench of human flesh was food. But yeah. oh my, bro... You just keep what? Right. So he did this. It's insane. It went on for so long without anyone knowing. Like my ears are hurting right now. What the hell? It's seriously. It's the worst. Um, he did this to all the girls, but Rivera because she told on them, and instantly, like I said, she became his favorite. Um, on March nineteenth. Uh, he Nick took um, took Deborah Dudley to the cellar and threw her in a water pit and electrocuted her to death due to her being just resisting him when he was trying to rape her earlier in the day. So he's killed two of the women that he's captured. Thankfully, on March 24th, Vera got permission to visit her brother. Hednik only allowing her to leave the house. He had believed that he had manipulated her into trusting him and believing that... Mm-hmm. It sounds like proper Stockholm syndrome. Right, exactly. Uh, Rivera actually went to her boyfriend and told him everything that had happened and everything that was going on. He was later arrested that day and the, girl, the rest of the girls freed. Oh In gosh. June of 88, Hednik uh, went to court and pled not guilty by saying the girls were already squatting in the house when he had moved in. And he had simply was trying to allow the girls to live there until they could find a place to stay. What? Right. Thankfully, no one believed him. And they were like, you're full of shit. And then <laughs> guilty due to, due to mental insanity. However, uh, Hedenik's IQ was tested and he was, and I, I didn't really want to mention this part. Um, however, no. I had to plead insane and the judge denied that, that plea because Hednik had a 150 IQ and had made half a million what? stocks, including the money from his church. Like, that's a high IQ. That's mental level IQ. Right. So he used his uh, mental diagnosis uh, to get out of a lot of his consequences and actions. But he was actually yeah. an intelligent man. He knew what he was doing. On July 1st, of 1988 he was convicted of two counts of first degree murder five counts of kidnapping six counts of rape four counts of aggravated assault and one count of um involuntary devious sexual intercourse um on april 15th 1996 or 1997 excuse me he was scheduled to be executed but at the last minute appeal, he made an appeal to determine mental competency mm-hmm takes a year and a half for them to affirm the death sentence. Um, a few weeks later, on July 6th, he is executed at the age of 55. I personally, like, I don't 
have the capacity to or the energy to hate anybody. Um, but I don't like him. Like he is a horrible, horrible person and the acts that he committed actually are making my skin like crawl. And I'm somebody who watches a lot of true crime. Right. And also like but I don't believe in cap and I know I I don't like regardless of how gruesome the act is, I personally do not believe that anybody has the right to take life from another person. But I'm just thinking like this is the seventies. And I understand, like, the 60s, they were lobotomizing people and stuff like that. But I just feel like if there were stricter rules with the institutions that he was in, these women's lives could have been spared if he was kept. And also, like, he was a repeat offender. He repeatedly raped women. And the police kept leaving, like, allowing him to come out of jail, leading to him, you know, committing these gruesome acts. So he's obviously to blame as well. But I think the system is also to blame because they let this monster out numerous times. And it seems to be a repeated pattern like with a lot of like offenders that right. then that story was oof. Yeah, it's a terrible story because a lot of people weren't it didn't seem like there was a panic to find these girls. There was a lack of media articles and I know it's from the seventies. I'm just so glad that these women were ultimately found and not all of them had to die. Betsy did so. Um, Do you know what this reminds me of? Um, this reminds me of David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Like, this is similar to the same things he did, and he got far more notoriety, and he didn't even wasn't convicted of any murders, you know? He was suspected of, like, 60-plus murders, but he didn't convict. He wasn't, like, convicted of any, and it's... Ugh, I don't get it. But obviously, we know why. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, but thank you so much for that horrible story. My ears are still hurting and ringing. All right, folks, so I'm going to be telling the story of the Roxbury murders. Finding information for this, that was really, really stressful because there was almost none. So the story of the Roxbury murder is about 12 black women that were killed within the span of five months. Nothing was done. Before I jump into the story, I do want to give you guys a quick little fact. So according to the Washington Post, in the past decade, nearly 26,000 murders have gone without an arrest in major American cities of those murders. 18,600 of those victims, y'all, were black. That's crazy. That's literally almost three quarters. Almost three quarters of those victims were black. And that's really sad. But it's not surprising because, I mean, look, that's the reason why our podcast is here to talk about stories that get no coverage because fall under the category of less dead or not important. So I've rambled off enough. Let me jump in. Um, Again, I want to repeat, finding information for these stories were really, really hard, and the information that I did find was very limited. There's not much backstories to these women, and it's really sad, but the little information that is given, you can kind of tell that they were amazing people, and it's really tragic. But let me get started. So the Roxbury murders were the murder of 12 black women and one white woman. The murder took place between January of 1979 and May of 1979. So the murders took place within several miles of one another in the Roxbury neighborhood, which is on the south side of Boston. So I'm going to start off with Christine Rockets, who was a 15-year-old girl. Christine went to Brooklyn High School and was described as shy, quiet, with an aspiration of helping people, and she wanted to be a social worker, y'all. This girl, at 15, at such a young age, she knew she wanted to help people. And it's really sad that her life was taken at such a young age. Christine was found strangled to death on a sidewalk in the Roxbury neighborhood on the 29th of January, which is a day after my birthday. And that's kind of, whew. Yeah, both these cases were really close to our birthdays. So with um, Christine, they also found Andrea Foy. So Andrea was a cheerful 17-year-old girl. She spent most of her time helping her grandparents who were ill. Like 
Christine Angel was found on the sidewalk. Both these ladies were found in a plastic bag with a blanket. Now, I'm not sure if, like I said, there was limited information, so I'm not sure if they were wrapped in a blanket or if the blanket was just thrown on them, but I'm going to assume they were wrapped in a blanket because why would there be a blanket with them? So, yeah, so moving on to the third victim, who was Gwendolyn Yvette Stenton. Gwendolyn was 15, and she's described as being lively. Um, she was saving up to, get, to go to gymnastic camp. <laughs> this girl wanted to be a gymnast. And I think it's pretty awesome that she was saving up for herself, you know, knowing that she had nine other siblings. Yes, she was one of 10 children. On the day she went missing, she actually told her mom she was going to a party and that she would be back. Her goal was to convince a friend to come to that party with her and to make it back home to her mom. But sadly, she did not come back. And when her mom noticed that, her daughter wasn't back within like appropriate time she went to the police but of course this is a young black girl it was chucked up to her being a runaway her mother got no action so sadly Gwendolyn was found 10 days later in her neighborhood literally a hundred yards from her house mind you this is the third victim and it's two days later her body is found January 30th not even two days a day later like January 29th Christine and Andrew are found and then on the 30th Gwendolyn is found but nothing is being done the police of course, these are young black girls. They ran away, got themselves in trouble or something like that. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking because after three deaths, something could have happened. I, something definitely could have happened. You know, they could have had patrols. They could have had folks come in. But yeah, I don't know. Finding, like doing the research for this, for this story was really sad because these women are really, really young. And it's just, it's this very obvious thing. This is literally within miles of each other within miles in the same neighborhood like within the same radius of each other it's so sad so actually after Gwendolyn went missing mm -hmm. you know her mom her mom went to the police nothing happened and that's why like black moms are amazing her mom was not just gonna sit there and let her daughter go missing for nothing she actually demanded she and the senator after three deaths within such a short span of time they demanded a meeting with the mayor and Guess what the mayor said? It's not really up to the police for protection. It should be more of the community should look out for each other, this, that, and the third. And of course, this was a white mayor. He died in 2012. I'm not going to say his name because he's not relevant. He's not shit. So after the woman is found dead, we have Karen Proctor. Karen was 25 years old, and she was actually a mother to a two-year-old child. She was found beaten and stabbed to death. Oh my gosh. On the day of her murder, she was actually heading to her grandfather who was 75 years old and she often took him to the grocery store um, helped him around <sighs> I don't know I'm just happy I guess that she didn't have her daughter with her because I can't even imagine what would have happened and right right but so there's mixed information some say she was found near the Boston hospital some say the fire department so I'm not quite sure but yeah she was a mother of two and died in such a tragic way so now we're at four bodies. Most people will be thinking these are four black women killed within the same neighborhood in such a short time in similar ways. Hmm. Maybe there's a serial killer in the loose. Maybe there's some out there who's targeting. A logical mindset would be let's kind of let's see what's happening in this neighborhood and why these black women are being targeted and killed in such horrendous ways. But no, it continues. After the fourth body, with the fourth body, which was Karen Pactor. Um, Darla Haggett is found in her house, bound and strangled. This is a 26-year-old social worker who stays to herself, minds her business. She's described as being very quiet, a church lady. You know, she's in the church choir. She's a social worker, like, oh, gosh. 
So she's found in her apartment um, by her neighbor when they noticed that, you know, she hadn't been seen for a while. She was actually found bound and strangled. Yeah, so next um, is our sixth victim, which is Desiree Dennis Estridge. Desiree was a 17-year-old girl, um, a part-time student. She was found beaten and burned to death. Oh, so this, so she was found on, in Dorchester. This is in March now. We've made it to March. From January to March, these women are still being killed almost every month. Literally every month, actually, they're being killed and nothing is being done. You know, police is literally like the police are not doing anything. And the only folks that were actually giving attention or call, trying to call attention and trying to like connect the dots between all these murders were the feminists, the black feminists of that time. Oh, her skull and jaw were shattered. Her body was found 100 yards away from the school, the same place Christine and Andrea had been found. I don't understand how the cops are not catching on at this point. No, honestly. So, obviously, cops aren't doing anything after Desiree's body. Um, a few feminists, the, one of them was Barbara Smith, as well as the Combat Heat Collective. They actually came together like, yo, what is happening? Um, the Combat Heat Collective were actually a Black feminist, lesbian, socialist organization. Um, they were active in Boston from 1974 to 1980. Sadly, they're no longer around. Um, you know, the movement argued for both white they talked about how white feminism and civil rights movement pretty much kind of left black women out in a sense, especially black um, lesbians. So I thought that was pretty rad. And Barbara Smith, who was actually still alive, she, oh my gosh, this woman is literally the definition of black girl magic. She is described as an, an American lesbian feminist and she's a socialist who has played a significant role in black feminism in the United States since the early 70s. She's been active as an activist, a critic, a lecturer, an author, and a publisher of Black Feminist Thoughts. Sis is a badass. She's 74 years old, and she's still around doing shit, getting shit done, and she has a lot of awards. So yeah, so those, <laughs> so those two groups, you have Barbara Smith and the Combahee Collective. They're saying to themselves, like, okay, no, Black women are literally dying. We're scared. We, are, we can't go out. We're scared to go out because... We don't know what's going to happen to us. The police isn't doing anything. So after the sixth murder, the sixth murder on April 1st, um, the Black women, mm-hmm. the Combat Heat Collective, and Barbara Smith they all organized a protest slash march, which they walked from Harriet Tubman's house and took a brief pause in front of Desiree, who <sighs> Desiree was the sixth victim. They paused in front of her house to pay respect. And um, at this meeting, um, it's it was noted that it was mostly black men who were speaking and when they were talking, their solution to the problem was, well, black women, she pretty much, well, at first they thought it was, um, they were saying that it was, a, it was violence against black people and they weren't realizing the fact that this is violence against black women. Only black women are being targeted and killed and the combat he collected with Barbara Smith disagreed with that. They were like, no, black women are being targeted. This is not about, um, um, it's not targeted towards black. It's solely targeted. Yeah, it's solely targeted towards black women. They're the ones being killed, and and a reason, a solution to that was the black men. <laughs> I love my black men, but this is such a BS solution. The solution was, well, black women shouldn't leave their house without a man. Then they should have um, someone with them at all times, and this and the third. And this dismissed the fact that most abuse and those things occur in the house, and just because. 
you have a man walking with you doesn't mean you're not going to get abused because most people are abused by folks they know. And it just dismisses the fact that women should have autonomy and should have some form of agency, not some form, should have total agency of themselves. And it was just a BS response. Well, don't leave the house without a man. Like, it's just so freaking annoying. But yeah, so with these women, um, they continue to act, act they continue to call attention to what was happening. But of course, no one was, no one was, there was no national news on anything. The little bit of attention that was given was from the Boston Globe, which was obviously based in Boston. And when they, when they mentioned the victims, they misspelled victims' names, especially Desiree, they misspelled her name. Um, Gwendolyn's story was on the 13th page of the news article. And also, like, ugh, it was just sad. They barely gave any any information. And, like, the headlines were really, one of the headlines was Dorchester girl found dead. And it was, like, a full paragraph on what had happened. Not giving any information. Not even focusing on the fact that Black women are being targeted on the south side of Boston in the Roxbury neighborhood. And the police are not doing anything. You know, like, those literal, no, pub, no national attention. It was Black women fighting for black women and if it wasn't for black women like Barbara Smith and the Kambahi Collective we probably wouldn't know about these stories those women fought but let's move on so after Desiree is found and that's just it's so sad because Desiree it says that she was in and out of foster care she was a really sweet girl who loved to paint she really loved to paint um abstract she loved to paint astrology she loved to paint butterflies just um cool quirky things like that so it's but anyways moving on to our seventh victim, who is Darlene Rogers. Darlene was 22. She was stabbed multiple times and found naked from the waist down in Washington Park on April 14th. This is all the information we forget about Dar um, Darlene. So moving on to our seventh victim, who is Louise Nesbitt. Louise was 31. She was found dead in her bed, tied up and strangled by a radio cord. This was on April 28th. Yeah. There's not much information. The Boston Globe did um did cover her murder, but the title was "Black Woman Slain." Notes that like given no small clip in the corner, right? Uh, the next person is Valerie Holiday. She was 19. She was actually conscious when the police arrived to her apartment. So she was found on Friday night. Um, she told the police she was stabbed by an 18-year-old man who was Eugene B. Conway. He lived in the Dorchester residence with her and he was arrested that night and pleaded innocent. Um, sadly, she died on Saturday morning. So we have, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but some of the murders were quote unquote solved and not, none of the murders were, they weren't connected to the same like killer, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because it's just, it's really wild to think that there are 12 different people within the same neighborhood like willing to kill black women like you said the same mo is just i don't know that just sounds like a i could be wrong but it just sounds like the work of one person i don't know but yeah so moving on to our next victim who is sandra bulwer she was 30 she was murdered her body was found naked in a chart like she was burned she was found next to the ymca at 5 a.m you know, so this is a woman who had just moved to Boston. She was from Cincinnati. She moved with her sister, trying to get her life back on track. And after being missing for three days, her sister reported her. Of course, nothing was done. And she was found at 5 a.m. by the YMCA. Something I'm noticing is 
That's why I feel like it's the same person. The dumping of the bodies, none of the bodies are left in anywhere they won't be found. It's like the killer puts the bodies in places they will be found because one them went missing and 10 days later she was found like 100 yards within where she lived. So it's like she never really left the neighborhood. I don't think when she was heading out to go to her party, she ever left the neighborhood or even made it to her friends. So it's like this person or this person or these persons are killing these women and dumping them in places that they're going to be found, you know? So like I said, um, Sandra was found by the YMC at 5 a.m. Sandra had moved to Boston, you know, trying to turn her life around. And unfortunately, someone took her life. So we are almost to the end, y'all. We are our, ne- our last um, victim, who was Bobby Jean. Well, technically our last Black victim, who was Bobby Jean Graham. She was 34. She was the 12th Black woman found. Her eyes actually say that she had died from like a laceration to her liver caused by multiple blows. Like, so this person like punched her over and over. Not punched her, but like hit her with the blunt object over and over and over. Like she was found in an alley um, by a man who was driving past According to a female witness, they said they noticed a couple were walking towards the alleyway and the woman appeared to be intoxicated, like she wasn't walking steadily. So the men picked her up and carried her to the alley. So yeah, she was found the next morning with blood on her body. She had indentation of like heels to her chest. So this person like stomped on this woman. And um, wow. So I hope I haven't scared you folks off but these stories do need to be told. Like I mentioned, he Collective were a huge group that um, brought attention. They actually brought attention to this, to these stories. They even went as far as making pamphlets to educate women on what was happening and how to um, carry, handle themselves in the situations and how to stay safe. Again, it's so sad that Black women have to continue to save Black women or, you know, Black women, marginalized groups, like you mentioned, marginalized groups shouldn't have to the police exist for a reason we shouldn't have to do the jobs of the police it's not fair shouldn't like the mayor saying that it's a community thing like why does the police exist then if they're not going to do their job like wasn't an institution meant to protect right of color (laughs) it was (sighs) to make sure that people kept their land and to catch runaway slaves and no honestly it was only, it was literally about keeping people enslaved. Right. Teach us, how can you teach a system meant to be racist, not to be racist? That's why I truly believe the system needs to be deconstructed, dismantle everything because it was not built in the favor of people who look like me. But, okay. So like I mentioned, despite the activist work from feminist groups and folks like Barbara Smith, most of the murders they failed to make all of the murders failed to make national news um of course except for Faye Polner who was a white woman her death was widely publicized I don't know I think it's funny but obviously not funny but I think according to the police her death was not related to the black women but her body was found in the same neighborhood she was actually found in her father's car um she went missing and when she hadn't come back within appropriate time. Her family put in a missing person report. And of course, within the right, like they found her body. Yeah, she was within the right amount. Anyways, after her family had put in a missing person's report, they found her body. She was um, in her father's car, dead. Um, there was a lot of media story covering this. Obviously, this falls 
fail porn refers underneath. Pretty much the missing white woman syndrome is if you're a white woman who's if you're young, you're white, you're upper middle class, um, you're a girl, white girl, you tend to get more coverage. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You look at John Benet Ramsey, her story is extremely, extremely popular. Obviously, I don't believe any death is more tragic than the other in every situation in life has been taken away. But it's just so sad how pretty upper middle class, you know. There were um, four arrests made in for some of the murders. The first was, of course, um, Andrea Floyd and Christine Rackets who were found together. Dennis Porter was arrested in connection with the two killings. There were the two victims, of course. First of all, like I said, information was extremely limited. But like trying to find information on the arrest there was little to none. The only person I could find information on was Eugene. And it's because he tries to appeal his um, arrest saying that his rights were violated. So yeah, but that, even with that, there was literally no, no information. With Gwendolyn Yvette Stinton, um, her neighbor, her four-year-old neighbor, James Brown, was actually arrested for her murder. Karen Pactor, a man named Kenneth Spann, was arrested in relation to her death. And with Louise Nesbitt, her murder was named her murderer's name was Richard Strotter, and he was a 31-year-old man. And in the case of Sandra, her murder was Osborne Jimmy Shepherd. You know what's crazy? Um, he was a, one of these guys is guilty, maybe. Mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. And then the rest of these guys are innocent and they they're letting someone get away with a crime. No, honestly. Or they're letting they're putting innocent man in jail for crimes they possibly didn't have to commit but the thing the cool thing was sandra i thought sandra was a badass um according to the articles she actually had two boyfriends and um <laughs> osborne jimmy yeah sis was living her hot girl life <laughs> way before hot girl shit was a thing so the man convicted of her murder was one of her boyfriend who i said was osborne jimmy shepherd she was actually meant to be with him that night and yeah so um that's all i have for you folks these stories have so much more that's needed to be told there's so much information but obviously that's not available it's been over 40 years um yeah so the actually the say her name movement is somewhere i got my information on the ladies so if you go to the say her name page it talks about a lot of victims that are black women who of course got little to no attention i was really grateful for that page because it provided a lot of information as well as information for future, future cases so yeah. good job i enjoyed your story as much as you could enjoy something like this we i'm really happy we did our first episode <laughs> it's been a long time coming for sure we can only go up from here well yeah folks thank you so much for tuning in um so yeah we'll be back trying to tell you these stories in the most light-hearted way as possible and that's not to take away from the gruesomeness of these stories of course everything is going to get better from the from the flow, from the stories. So hopefully hopefully you guys enjoyed this and you keep listening. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I promise the energy will be a lot more. I yeah. am not having the best day today. So, yeah. yeah. I think that our energy will definitely go up, especially because we'll be recording earlier in the day for both of us in the future. Yeah. So it'll be easier to have a little bit more pep in our step. Honestly... But, folks, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Say bye, Pickle.